Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. After worship one day in one of our services, somebody handed me a little note. I opened it and it said, I'm going to travel the world till my money runs out. I estimate I'll be home this evening by 10. (laughs) That's my story right there, and I'm sticking to it. Merry Christmas. Isn't this a wonderful day to worship God? Christmas has the music just been, it has filled my heart and soul. Just so thankful for our congregation, every single one of you, and for those who lead us in worship. So we've been in a series entitled The Gift. We've been listening to the song of the angels. Over the four weeks of this series, this being the fourth, the echo of the angel's song has followed us. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. All the way from over the hills of Bethlehem, the night Jesus was born, those words have echoed. Our question has been, upon exactly whom does God's favor rest? Upon the rich and powerful? Upon the mighty? Upon the beautiful? Upon whom does it rest? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, which is where we have remained, it rests upon some surprising people. We've discovered that God's favor rests on sinners who look like sinners and on sinners who look like saints because at the core we're all the same. God's favor rests upon the little, the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely, not upon the mighty of the world. And last week we discovered that God's favor rests upon those who know they need an invitation from Jesus if they're ever going to enter the banquet. They depend on that. And now today, we discover that God's favor rests upon those who know that God is their only resource. That God is their only resource. That's a tough one for us. That's a really tough one for us. Because by any measure, by any standard, we are wealthy. Compared to the rest of this planet that we call home, to people in the rest of the world, people in this world, we're wealthy. And so being able to come to the place where we say we know God is our only and ultimate resource is tough. Just consider one measure, just one measure. I'm going to go out on a limb, although it's a pretty big limb. I don't think anybody's going to saw it off, and it's not going to break on me and say that I suspect the number is very small if there's anyone who came to church today on public transportation. That's a really important measure in the rest of the world. 
Or what about this one? Unless it's because you happen to live close by, I suspect there may possibly be no one who had to walk to church today. We're wealthy. And so when we come to this lesson that says God's favor rests upon those who know God is their only and ultimate resource, it's a bit hard. It's hard for me. I suspect it may be challenging for you. But we need to read the words. They're found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. It's in this section that scholars often refer to as the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is talking to his followers and to the crowd. The passage we're going to read has three sections. I just want to give you a heads up so you can watch it as we read it. Three sections. The first section is kind of setting the stage, giving the context. The second section is blessings, and the third section is woes. Now, the blessings and the woes have a parallelism to them. There are four couplets, the first one having to do with poor and rich, the second one having to do with hunger and being satisfied, the third one having to do with weeping and laughing, and the last one having to do with insults and compliments. But the one having to do with poor sets the stage, and it's a key theme in the Gospel of Luke. So with that as the background, let's read the passage. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. He went down with them, that is Jesus. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Wow. On Christmas Eve, no less. And yet those words introduce us to a key theme in the Gospel of Luke. And that theme is that when the kingdom of God arrives, there will be a reversal of fortunes. The present order of things will be turned upside down. Now, just knowing that that's a key theme in the Gospel of Luke makes us realize intuitively that the coming of the kingdom will be good news and bad news. It will be good news for some and bad news for others. And so the question is, how does that affect us? Is the kingdom's coming good news for me or is it bad news? Well, much of it has to do with this issue of power. How do we manage the power that we do have? And we all have power of some kind. Sometimes it's relational power or parental power or communal power or political power or financial power. 
That's the one that Luke zeroes in on here. The question is, when it comes to any place in your life where you have a sense of power, do you hold it, clutch it, cling to it, use it selfishly and abusively with others, or do you live an open-hearted and open-handed life, caring for, protecting, standing for others? If you live an open-handed life, then the coming of the kingdom is good news. If you live a selfish, abusive life, it's not good news. So the question that comes home to us then is very simple. In those places in my life where I have some influence, where I have some power, how do I treat the weak and wounded, the feeble and frail, the faulty and failing? How do I treat them? Do I live with my finances a tight-fisted or an open-handed life? Now, the news isn't particularly good, I'll have to tell you. It was a bit alarming to me to discover that it's not just what's in the pages of this book, but even current research is showing some interesting things in this area of our lives. A social psychologist, social scientist, researcher, just down the road from us, actually, down at UC Irvine by the name of Paul Piff, has been researching this area with his colleagues for a number of years now. He has a TEDx talk, has about 4 million views now, in which he describes how money affects us and our relationships with others. They've done quite a number of research studies, experiments, at the end of which he can summarize all of them with one sentence disturbing sentence. Piff says, secular person, Piff says, money makes us mean. Money makes us mean. And I want to say, wait, wait, wait a minute. What, what, what are you talking about? Upon what do you base that? Piff says, glad you asked. So some of the research projects they've done, here's one of them. They, they went out and got 100 people and brought them in into their, into their offices where they were going to do the research, they divided them up into couplets, pairs of two, and each couplet was going to play Monopoly against each other. So they set them down across the table from each other at the Monopoly table, and, and they gave one of them twice as much money as they gave the other. They told the one who had twice as much money, when you roll the dice, you're going to be rolling two dice, you're just going to be rolling one. So this one got around the table a whole lot faster than the other one did. And every time you pass go, they said to the one, you're going to get twice as much money as this one gets. And then they stepped out of the room, though there were hidden cameras watching what was going on, and waited to see what would happen. And so they began playing Monopoly. It was not long at all before the one with the money was literally smacking the table with his or her game piece. One, two, three, four, five, around the table, asserting their power and control. When it came time to pay up, they said to the other, okay, you owe me $24. 24 you, you hardly have any money left. I, I'm going to own this whole board soon. And they started just lording it over the other one and just celebrating as they won. The researchers had put a little plate with pretzels on it on the table, and they both looked at it and said, well, can we eat that? I guess so. By the time they were done, the rich one had eaten twice as many pretzels as the other one. 
When it was over and they talked to the subjects, the curious thing was the subjects appeared to, to assign the fact that they had won to their innate ability and skill and talent, not to the fact that the way the decision had been made as to who would be rich and who would be poor was by a flip of the coin. No one mentioned that. That's one of their studies. Another one, and this one is in Piff's own words. He says, we ran another study where we looked at whether people would be inclined to take candy from a jar of candy that we explicitly identified as being reserved for children. I'm not kidding, he said. I know it sounds like I'm making a joke. We explicitly told participants, this candy is for children participating in a developmental lab nearby. They're in studies. This is for them. And we just monitored how much candy participants took. Participants who felt rich took two times as much candy as those who felt poor. Wow. And then there was one study that really caught my attention. It had to do with crosswalks. You know, in the state of California, the law is if I'm a pedestrian and I come up to the street, the curb, and there's a crosswalk in front of me, it's the law that you as a driver have to stop and allow me to walk across. And so what Piff and his colleagues did is they divided cars up into five different categories depending on how expensive they were. Very cheap cars to the ultimate cars. That I, Yeah, anyway. So all of these cars were divided up. And then they watched over, I don't remember what it was, two or three days what happened. Every single car in the cheapest category stopped. In the most expensive category, half of them never stopped. Just remember after church out here. <laughs> Depending on what kind of car you see coming, you're taking your life in your hands. So, how does he summarize it? Here's how he summarizes it. What we've been finding is that as a person's level of wealth increases, their feelings of compassion and empathy go down and their feelings of entitlement and self-interest increase. And I want to say, Jesus, did, did you know Paul Piff? <laughs> Have you all talked? No. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Woe to the rich. They've received their comfort. And I want to say, but Jesus, that seems awfully arbitrary. Do you really mean that? Maybe the best way we could think of it, it's not perfect, but maybe a helpful way to think of it would be to think of this. Suppose you are an emergency rescuer. You're not only on an emergency rescue team, you lead the team. And you discover you're called and told there's been a terrible catastrophe at a deep canyon nearby. A whole group of people have gone over the edge. Many of them, however, have survived. They're clinging to the canyon at all levels, although some have gone all the way to the very bottom of the canyon. You are called upon with your team to rescue the people. And so you come out knowing you want to rescue every single one. 
Now, the ones that are up closer, the ones that are not too far from the lip of the canyon, they have this sense that, look, I can get out of this myself. I'll climb out. I don't need a whole lot of help, maybe a hand. But the further you go down, you realize by the time you get to the bottom of the canyon, the people there are saying, we have no hope of rescue unless you help. That's the only way out we have. Now, what if, what if, furthermore, those who are on the higher levels of the canyon impede you helping those at the bottom? That's where you enter the world of Jesus who says, blessed are you poor, yours is the kingdom. Why? Because you have realized that your only source of help is God. It's the only one on which you can depend. Woe to the rich. You're not so clear on that. It's a lot harder to decide whether God is truly your only source of support and help. This cuts right across my grain, right across who I am, having been taught to, to, to work hard, to, to achieve, to accomplish, to study, to apply yourself. You can do it. To be able to come to the place where I say, God, when it comes to my spiritual life, my spiritual realities, you are my only source of help, support. You're my only resource. That's a tough reality to accept. Maybe Clinton Arnold, New Testament scholar, puts it the best when he says this way. The physically poor are spiritually advantaged because their poverty fosters reliance on God. The physically rich are spiritually disadvantaged because their wealth presents a hindrance to putting God first. Could it be that it all has to do with how deeply I recognize that my only true source, my only true resource is God? Thus it is that God's favor rests on those who recognize that. Now, I have to tell you, in case you feel a little bit jarred, as I have this week in studying this passage, that Luke was not the only gospel writer to record the passage. Matthew also records the passage. Matthew, as he writes his gospel for a different audience, remembers certain pieces of it, that will apply to his context. And so when he writes this beatitude, Matthew writes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew, in saying that, maybe speaking to you, maybe speaking to me, because he's saying, The truth is, friends, whether you are financially secure or financially challenged. The deepest issue is, is there a poverty of spirit that says my only true resource is God? And so we spent the summer in Guatemala. Three of us were friends. We were students. We were there to help build the radio towers that would 
hold the antennas for the Adventist World radio station being built. It was interesting work, scary work, hard work. But the summer moved along. And it wasn't just the three of us. The engineer was there, certainly. But then there were two men from, from the local area. It was the mountains outside of Guatemala City. These two men, Juan and Pedro, were delightful men. They were cooperative. They laughed at our jokes. We had a good time working together. They worked hard. They had nothing by way of this world's wealth. Pedro was missing some teeth and would likely never have them repaired. But as the summer went on and the towers went up and the days grew short, they came to us one day and said, we, we'd like to have you over to our place. Pedro said, my wife would like to host you. So we said, okay. So the next to last day that we were there, we followed Juan and Pedro down the trail off toward where Pedro lived. And we finally arrived at his, I don't know, lean-to, corrugated tin, cardboard, drapes where doors ought to have been. He said, okay, we're here. He ducked in, came out. My wife wants you to come in. So we ducked inside, very poor lighting. It took a moment to adjust, to be able to see the hard-packed dirt floor. And on the wall, some artwork, kind of Jesus on velvet. And his wife said, here, please sit down. She pulled up three stools. Quick glance around the place, we realized there were no more stools. So we said, no, we're, we're, we're fine, we'll stand. No, 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 you have to sit. We're, we're, no, 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 por favor. And so uncomfortably, we sat. And she brought out coffee to us. Coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker. I've never been much of a hot drinker until recent years. True to my southern roots, the more ice, the better. But anyway, she brought out coffee. And I held that coffee, multicolored tin cup. And we drank that coffee. And I realized that in certain circumstances, coffee tastes just like communion. Communion. They gave us all they had. I was thinking about that this week. And I got to thinking, I wish, I really wish that at that time I had been reading the Gospel of Luke. Because if I had been reading the Gospel of Luke, I think at a certain moment, I would have said, shh, to Pedro and to Juan and to their families, the three of us, I would have said, shh, listen. Because had we listened, I think we would have heard the angels sing. 
Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to Juan and to Pedro. And to these three gringos who are just beginning to understand how poor they are. Peace to you. And that's God's song for you today. In your heart of hearts, you know my only true resource is God. And I can say, listen quietly, because heaven's song declares God's favor on you. Gracious God, thank you for a kingdom where the rich are poor and the poor are rich, and everybody can depend on you. Let us leave this place hearing the song of your favor with open hearts and open hands to all who need. In the name of Jesus, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.